All right. Hello, you guys. Yeah, my name's Kara. Um, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, John's going to yeah pass out some outlines, which is good. Um, I'm just so humbled and honored to be here, for real. Like, this is such a gift to be here at Formation with you guys. Um, like John said, I... Um, I'm a high school youth minister, so I run a high school youth group. It's pretty fun. Um, I'm also a nurse, so I do nursing things on occasion. Um, but the most important thing is um, I love the Lord, and I'm just really honored to get to be with you guys. So thanks for having me. Um, tonight, we are talking about unity. So we're talking about unity, um, kind of two, two forms of unity. We're talking about unity relating to a community, like a group of people, like this one in this room, okay? So unity within the context of a community, and then unity within the context of like your one-on-one -on -one relationships with people. So to like orient you a little bit to your handout, the first, the front half is unity to a community, to a group of people, and the back half is unity in your personal relationships, like one-on-one -on -one relationships. Um, so that's where we're going tonight, but first and foremost, um, we're going to start with the gospel. So if you, if you know me at all, you know that I love the gospel. And the reason is, is because the reason we're starting with this is because literally nothing that I'm going to say in the next 30-ish minutes matters at all if we don't know the gospel. Like if we do not know the good news of Jesus, if we don't know why Jesus came, then nothing I'm about to say matters at all. So the gospel, you, me, and everyone that we know were created to be in relationship with God. We were created by God to be in perfect relationship with him where nothing is hindering, nothing's blocking, and nothing's in the way. But along the way, human beings, you and me and everyone else who has existed, chose not God. We said, God thinks, but no thanks. I'm actually going to choose my own way. I think I know what's best for me. I don't want what you have for me. I want to choose my own way. And when that happened, sin entered the world. Sin breaks and separates the relationship with God that we were created for. And we feel the effects of sin in the world, right? Like, I don't have to tell you guys that, like, the world is not how it should be. Things are not how they should be. And that is because of the effects of sin. And sin destroys the relationship that we were made for. But God loves you so much that he could not bear the thought of an eternity without you. So he had a plan. From the beginning of time, he had a plan to redeem and restore everything that had been lost. And so he sent his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to come and pay the price for our sins, to make a way for us to be reconciled back to the Father. That when Jesus died on the cross, he did that so that you and me could enter back into the relationship with God the Father that we were created for from the very beginning. And so that's the gospel. That is the gospel that you and me are free to choose to enter back into the relationship with God that we were created for because of what Jesus did on the cross. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to say yes to that. And so this is important. Um, the first paragraph of the catechism of the Catholic Church that, you know, tells us everything we believe and why we believe it and all of that. Catechism paragraph one, the very first thing it says is God 
infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men scattered and divided by sin into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son as redeemer and savior. In his son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. And so I just want us to focus on that, that there's a line in the middle that's key for us tonight. It says, he calls together all men scattered and divided by sin into the unity of his family, the church. That sin scatters and divides us, but God gathers us into the unity of his family. And it is like, I don't know, ironic, I guess, that I am giving this talk on like unity and community because I, so I lived in SP Hustle for three years when I was in college here. And if, if sophomore, John talked about meeting up with me when I was a sophomore, what John graciously did not mention to you, at least from my perspective, is that John was kind of meeting up with me because I was at risk of defecting because I was like not about the whole community thing, okay? So my, my first year in household, I, I had so much to learn about community. I thought I knew everything, but I knew nothing. And I, I had so much to learn about community. And so I just want to testify to you guys that like, like, if, like I, what I thought I knew a lot about was, was um, Christian friend groups. Like I knew a lot about how to have a Christian friend group, but I did not know a lot about how to live in a community of people. Um, and it's, it's a key difference, right? That in a friend group, you like pick and choose the people who you click well with, who you get along with easy. It's easy to talk to, spend time with them. You have similar interests, things like that, right? Um, that's like how you'd pick a friend group, right? A community is a group of people that you choose to commit to regardless of if you click well with them, if they're easy to talk to, if they're awkward, if they think about things differently than you, if they spend their free time differently than you, right? Like, that choosing community was like, it, like the Lord transformed my life in understanding the difference between community and a Christian friend group. And so um, what this talk is not, it is not a passive aggressive call out to people. Like John didn't ask me to give this talk because he's like, there's a lot of problems with like relationships in the community and not being unified, right? Like this is not a passive aggressive call out, what this is, is us getting back on the offense against the enemy, right? Because the reality is, is that there's an enemy, right? And he has a plan for this community, for SPO at Ohio State. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the enemy has a plan for this community, the same way that God has a plan for this community, right? Like, we love to talk about that, that like, God has a plan for this community, we're going somewhere, but so does the evil one. And so us talking about this tonight is about us getting back on the offense against the enemy. Um, so that's where we're going. Um, so the enemy has a plan for our community, but so does God. 
And God's plan is that we would be one body, right? That, like, that analogy is all over scripture, right? Like, oh, the hand, the foot, blah, 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 like, the eye, da, da, da. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? So God calls us one body, like, one body, many parts. They all work together. We all need each other. We know this. Um, like John mentioned, I, so I'm also a nurse in addition to being a youth minister, and um, so fun. Um, and one of like, the best things, though, about, like, I don't know, going through nursing school and still being a nurse is like just getting to be amazed at the human body. Like, God designed things so intricately. Um, it's crazy, like how everything works together and everything affects each other. Like, all of our body systems affect each other. So when God calls us one body, we affect each other. You influence and affect this community for better or for worse. Like, none of us are just like, passive or neutral members in this community. You affect this community in one way or another. And yeah, what we do affects each other. You don't operate in a silo anymore. When you said yes to this community, you gave up the mentality of like, my decisions affect me and my future, and it's just like, they have, it all, like my life only affects me. Like, no, your life affects your brothers and sisters in this room. We affect one another because we're actually living community. So um, there is this verse, John 13, 34, that pierces me to the heart. It says, this is how all will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this is really what needs to be our like, litmus test of our community, right? Because like, what it doesn't say is, okay, you know how they're going to know that you are my disciples? By how awesome men's and women's nights are, how many people are at the arena, how many people are at the hog roast, like how many like, people you met with in the union, how awesome your worship environment is, like all of these things are really good, but that's not what Jesus says is gonna tell people that you are a Christian, that you are a disciple. He says they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And so we can ask ourselves the question, like, are the fruits of the Spirit present in our midst, in our households, in this community, in this room? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? Are these things present in our community? Are we loving one another? Is the Holy Spirit present in growing those fruits in our community? And so we've been talking about... um, the question there is like, what is the enemy's plan for our community? And the enemy, he scatters and divides, like the catechism says. He steals, kills, and destroys, like John 10, 10 says, right? Like the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And one of the main tactics um, that the enemy uses that we're going to focus on today is the spirit of grumbling and murmuring, okay? So... Um, maybe you find yourself like me when I was in household feeling really tempted to grumble and murmur about things that I didn't like, things I thought that could be better, things that I was frustrated with. Um, and it was really easy for me to like fall into grumbling and murmuring. And there's a few key examples of this. Um, one of them is the Israelites in the desert, right? Like this Um, verse from Psalm 106 talks about it. This is referring to the Israelites in the desert. 
And it says, they murmured in their tents. They did not heed the voice of the Lord. Like they were too busy murmuring to hear God's voice. That is so sad. Like I never want that to be able to be said of our community here, that we were too busy murmuring to hear the voice of the Lord, right? In Exodus, oh yeah, the story of Israel, the Israelites in the desert in Exodus, all over, they grumble, right? Like that's like the whole thing is like they were let out of Egypt, they like grumble in the desert. And grumbling leads us to thinking that Egypt was better than the promised land. That when they started grumbling, they started believing the lie that slavery was better than the promised land. That when we start letting grumbling and murmuring take root in our lives, we start believing that our old life before we started following Jesus was better than the one that we have now. Or we start believing the lie that like, oh yeah, my life when I was just like a lone ranger Christian, I didn't have to do this whole community thing, it was better then. Or we start, yeah, we start believing the lie like before I lived in household and I got to wake up whenever I wanted, my life was better then, right? Like we start letting grumbling, let us believe the lie that's, that our life before God is better than our life now. Another key example of grumbling is in John 6, after the bread of life discourse, right? So John 6, Jesus lays out the teaching of the Eucharist. He says, I am the bread of life, right? And what happens next is that the disciples grumble and they murmur and they are like talking amongst themselves like, how can this be true? This is a hard teaching, right? And, and Jesus like literally like, he stops them and he says, why are you murmuring? Um, and like when we see the disciples, like it leads to division. When they start grumbling and murmuring and processing in unproductive ways, which we'll talk about in a second, it leads to division and they walk away. People who are committed disciples of Jesus turn away because they let grumbling and unproductive processing like take root and change the course of their whole lives with the Lord. So um, before we go on, I do want to say like it is not a, a bad thing to have like um, things that you are frustrated by, things that you like wish were different, things that you wish were, were better or whatever. Like we do not want to be a complacent community, right? We do not want to be a complacent community. We want to continue to grow, to be better, to look more like Jesus is what we want to do. We want to continue to look more like Jesus. And so it's not bad to have like new ideas or different ideas um, or confusion about how thing, like why we're doing things the way that we're doing them or something. But what I want to do is just give us some framework about like what to do with those thoughts. Does that make sense? Um, because yeah, it's good to desire more for our community. Um, but we're gonna talk about unproductive spaces and productive spaces of processing when these grumbling and murmurings come, okay? Um, so productive spaces, they are solution-oriented towards kingdom building. It's with people who will point you back to truth and help you to zoom out to consider others slash the Lord with someone who values unity. And when we, product, when we process with in productive spaces, it leads to improvement that is best for the kingdom. But unproductive spaces are not solution-oriented with someone who's going to just tell you what you want to hear, a one-sided thought process, ranting or venting, or with someone who doesn't know God's voice. 
And this leads to sitting in dissatisfaction and sowing disunity. And so we've all probably experienced both, right? That like some um, productive spaces might be um, like your pastoral leader, your household leader, um, or a friend. It doesn't always have to be like a leader type person, right? Like you can have friends who are productive processing spaces if they're pointing you back towards truth and helping you zoom out and get a bigger perspective. But if you're like me, you've also been, probably been a part of unproductive processing spaces where you're processing with your friend who's experiencing the same frustration as you, and then you're just like going, both of you are like going down hard on like a wormhole of despair, okay? Um, yeah, we've experienced that. And so, but it's good to identify in your life and in, in like four specific topics and situations, like who are productive spaces of processing and who are unproductive spaces of processing. Um, yeah, and the other important thing here, too, is to have a heart of gratitude. That is our biggest combating thing against grumbling and murmuring, right? Is that, like, I don't know if you know this, but, like, it's really good what you have here. Like, what we have here in SPO at OSU is really good. And it would be good if, you know, maybe once in a while, you just were grateful for how it was good. <laughs> Like, like, what if it didn't always have to be bad? And what if you could be grateful that it was good sometimes, you know? Um, anyways, all right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, wrapping up with this side. So what I have here at the bottom are these, um, I guess, I mean, I didn't like check with John before, but I think these are like, the people who believe all of these truths about themselves are the kind of missionary disciples that we want deployed from SPO, right? That people who can confidently say that all of these things are true. Um, because we want empowered, confident, humble, and obedient missionary disciples. And you can actually be all of those things at the same time. Um, so I'm going to read through this list of truths that I prayed into for you guys. And I would just invite you to, like, star or highlight or circle, you know, if there's one that sticks out to you as like, I don't know if I believe that about myself right now, pay attention to that and talk to, you know, your small group, your pastoral leader about it, um, because all of these things are true of every single one of you. So here we go. I can hear God's voice. My thoughts and ideas are incredibly valuable. I bring something to the table here. My opinion isn't always the full picture. I am obedient to the Lord. I am obedient to the people he asked me to be obedient to. I am teachable, moldable, and interested in growing. I am not above learning about God's love or the simple things of our faith. I want God to be glorified, not me. I want what's best for the kingdom. And I carry the presence of the living God inside of me, and the fruits of the Spirit are being grown in me. And so take a second, circle, underline, one that the Lord is maybe inviting you into further conversation about later. And so just to end this part on like relating to community, I just want to say like if you are out of the, the honeymoon stage with SPO, <laughs> praise God. Like, like, you know, a lot of us when we first encounter the community, we're like, Oh my gosh, living with seven other Catholic girls who all have the same beliefs and morals in me, like what could get better than this? It's gonna be perfect, right? Um, 
And then you get in household and you're like, wow, that is not true. Okay. Um, and like, I just want to say like, if you feel like you have exited the honeymoon stage of like your experience of this community, praise God. Because now you get to enter the stage of like real commitment to community, right? That like you actually get to choose this and choose each other. And I want to be clear here too that you are not choosing an organization. You are choosing a people, right? That like you are choosing a people to belong to. And so, yeah, praise God. You know, Mother Teresa, she has that quote, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, if you want to go out and change the world, love the people in your house, right? And like a lot of us want to go do great things for the Lord. They're, like God has amazing plans and, and missionary endeavors for the people sitting in this room right now. But if we want to go out and change the world, change this campus, then like we have to start with loving the people in our own houses, okay? So, shaboom, that is unity and community. Okay, on the back side, we're going to be talking about unity and personal relationships next. Um, so this is crazy because reconciling relationships, like, actually doesn't really get taught to us. Um, yeah, like maybe when you were in kindergarten, like someone explains to you the concept of like saying I'm sorry or something, or like you punched your little brother and your mom made you say I'm sorry, but you didn't really want to. Like for a lot of us, if I'm being honest, like that is the whole of our formation on reconciling and saying I'm sorry is your mom forcing you to say it to your siblings or something. Um, so, yeah, and we're, we're not, we're definitely not learning it from the culture either because our culture kind of operates in two extremes when it comes to um, confrontation. It's either avoid confrontation at all costs, like I'm not a confrontational person, I can't do conflict, right? Like either like avoid at all costs or um, be really confrontational online with people who you're never going to see in person and you can dehumanize because you're not sitting across from them, right? Like, the world kind of operates in these two extremes, so we're not actually ever really taught how to reconcile well. Um, and, yeah, I, um, it's important that we talk about this because the reality is, like we talked about in the beginning with the gospel, is that we live in a world where sin exists. So I am going to hurt people that I'm in community with, and people are going to hurt me. That's, that's a given. That's going to happen. But Jesus is redeemer, restorer, and reconciler. And you are a part of God's plan to reconcile the world to himself. There, um, there's this line in the Our Father which we pray, you know, every time we go to Mass, every time we do morning prayer, which, you know, for you guys is a lot. And, and it says this. It says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And I don't know if you've ever really sat with that line before, but we are literally giving God permission. We're saying, forgive me to the extent that I forgive others, right? That every morning when you've been praying that morning prayer, you're saying, God, I'm giving you permission to forgive me to the extent that I forgive others. And so um, I think we probably need to be a little bit more serious about forgiving people then. Because <laughs> um, we're not like, we need to be serious about forgiveness because God is serious about forgiveness. Um, and so I just want to invite us, like, 
if you, are, if you are holding grudges with people in your house, if you are living in tension with someone in this community, or like if you have already given up on your house for this year, if you're like, oh, the relationships in my house are, are too far gone, like this year is already a wash, I'm just gonna wait for household next year, right? Like, I just want you to, <laughs> I wanna invite you into a renewal of the mind. And, and check yourself because it's literally November. And if you think that God doesn't have a redemption plan for the relationships in your house for the rest of the year, then, then you need a renewal of the mind on how like God's view of redemption and what he's capable of by the blood of Jesus, right? Um, so, yeah, God takes redemption seriously. So we're going to get into some practicals of how to actually have these conversations, how to reconcile. Um, and I just want to acknowledge, like, these are not easy conversations. They're not. Um, but the great news is, is that we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness. You were made for holiness. You are not made for easy conversations. So you can do this. Um, I want to direct us to over on the side, the part with the scripture, Matthew 5. It's the third one down. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Like the Lord is literally saying, if you're coming before the Lord and there you realize that you are not in right relationship with your brother, go first and be reconciled with him and then come offer your, come to my altar, right? And I actually, like, I remember when I learned um, the meaning of the sign of peace in mass, right? That, like, actually when you turn and you say, like, peace be with you to the people around you at mass, that is, like, us putting this in action, like, us getting in right relationship with the, the people around us before we approach the altar of the Lord together. Um, so, yeah, this is a big deal. I did not learn this until college. I... Um, yeah, I, I did not know. I had never actually had a reconciling conversation with someone until I was in household, um, which is humbling to admit, but it's true. Um, and I remember when I was a sophomore, I um, started, I was having tension with someone in community. So I went to my pastoral leader, like a good little pastorally, I don't know. And I, I met up with her and I said, I have a great plan. I am going to ignore this person. I'm just going to avoid them. It'll be easy. No problem. Um, <laughs> she just like stopped me and she was like, Kara, do you want there to be a Saint Kara of Columbus someday? And I was like, yes. And she was like, okay, great. Do you want there to be a Saint so-and-so of Columbus one day? And I was like, well, yeah. And she was like, okay, so do you think, like, when they're writing your saint autobiographies later, um, are they going to say, like, this person and this person, like, two saints that lived in the same city at the same time, um, lived in tension with each other, did not talk, avoided each other, and did not work together for the kingdom of God? And I was like, um, well, when you put it that way, I don't think that that is the right answer. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, like, these kind of conversations were revolutionary for me. They were new for me. And the first few that I had were very hard. And there were tears. And they were long. And I was sweaty because I was nervous. Like, there was, like, 
At first, it was really hard, but the more that I exercised this muscle of learning to reconcile and live in right relationship with the people in my community, the easier it got. That like, I got, I got better at communicating in these conversations, and, and it didn't take as long, and there weren't as many tears, right? Um, it, got, it got easier. Um, so, yeah, it takes practice. Um, and yeah, just to speak truth that like, if like at first, because if you haven't done this and there's like been things building up, like sure, maybe there are things that are like emotionally driven in these conversations, but these conversations do not have to be emotionally driven for them to be fruitful and effective, right? That like the mark of a good reconciling conversation isn't if someone cries, right? It's actually that like you and me are both operating in trust and in freedom with each other. Um, so, practicals. Whew, okay. What to do when you've hurt someone. So when you've hurt someone and you're repairing wrongdoing, we're just going to walk through these simple steps. Step number one, say I'm sorry. Actually take ownership and say the words I'm sorry and leave all the excuses at the door, right? That like we have been so conditioned to say I'm sorry followed by a litany of excuses to justify things, right? But instead, just say, I'm sorry, and let it be that. Acknowledge it was wrong what I did. Or it was wrong of me to do something that made you feel hurt, even if my action wasn't actually wrong, right? It was wrong what I did. And then state your intention. I won't, or I'll try not to do it again. I don't want to hurt you. And like speaking your intentions of relationship is so pivotal here. Like expressing, like, I'm sorry. It was wrong of me to say that joke that made you feel this way. Like, I am going to try, I'm going to not do that again because I don't want to hurt you. I value our sisterhood, our brotherhood. And then the last step, please forgive me. And this was like really a new step for me, actually asking for forgiveness. It was revolutionary for me. And and what it did actually is that like, because when you leave it at just I'm sorry, there is like the temptation to leave that conversation and be like, yeah, like they said they were sorry, but like things are still weird between us. Like, I don't know, it's not really the same as it was. Like, it's still weird. But when someone says, please forgive me, and then you extend forgiveness, it opens up freedom to actually move forward, to actually like let what's been washed in the blood of the lamb stay there and move forward in freedom. So that's what to do. That's the practical steps of how to have a conversation of when you've hurt someone, when you're repairing wrongdoing. And so we're going to go into the next kind of what to do when someone has hurt you and you need to reconcile a relationship. But I just want to acknowledge first that most reconciling conversations that you're going to have are going to include both of these. Like, it's usually not like an either or kind of thing. Most of the time, both of these like categories, if you will, are involved. Um, so what to do when someone's hurt you? Colossians 3, 12 through 13, it's on the side there. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If one has a grievance against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also do. 
And so we are called to forbearance, to bear with one another. That it's actually not our job in community. Like we don't get to be nitpicky about the way everyone does everything and says everything. That like that's not our job. And that like not everything that annoys you warrants a reconciling conversation, right? Um, because yeah, yeah, not everything that annoys you warrants a reconciling conversation. Because newsflash, you guys know this. The world doesn't revolve around you and your preferences, right? Um, and household is such a beautiful place where we actually, in formation in general, like we get to learn how to sacrifice our preferences. And so we need to learn to discern the difference between a preference and a problem, right? Like what is a preference versus what is a problem? And so you might be like, yeah, Kara, how do I do that? Where's the line? And I would point you to the line that's on your paper, okay? You see that big, bold line? That's where the line is, okay? That's the difference between preference and problem. So this is like a little, uh, uh, what's it called? Like spectrum kind of thing, right? Okay. Um, so on the far left side, you have annoyed. You might be annoyed at something that someone does or says. Or you might even disagree with them. You might even be offended by something that someone does or says. But then, get this, it crosses the line into I am hurt by something that someone does or says. And then the, uh, the far end is broken trust. Like I am experiencing broken trust in my relationship with this person because of what they have said or done. And if you notice there, so like the things on the left side of that line, that's in the forbearance zone. So that's where we get to learn how to sacrifice our preferences and die to ourselves and bear with one another. Bear with our brothers and sisters because not everything that's a preference is a problem. But when things cross that line, we get into the need to resolve conflict zone, right? And we all have relationships probably within this room on both sides of this spectrum, right? Um, and you might notice that little uh, gray zone. It's a gray zone. Um, and it says uh, discern with the father, right? Because sometimes... Um, when things are like right before the line, if they happen enough, they will cross the line, right? And so sometimes when you're noticing those things, you can discern with the Lord and actually ask him. Don't speak out of frustration or tiredness or anything like that. Actually ask the Lord, is this time for a conversation about this thing? It hasn't crossed the line into hurt yet, but is it worth a conversation? Ask the Lord about it. So, what to do when you find yourself across the line in the need to resolve conflict zone? How do we go about these conversations? Some simple steps here. Number one, affirm the relationship. Start with like, hey, I want to have this conversation with you because I value our friendship so much. Like, I really care about you. I want to live in good relationship with you. I want our house to be unified. I want our sisterhood to be strong, our brotherhood to be strong. So I'm having this conversation with you because I love you, right? Affirm your motives, why you're doing this. Affirm the relationship. Number two is address the problem. Say what you mean and mean what you say, right? Like, don't beat around the bush. Not time to sugarcoat things actually address what's going on. Something that's key in this is I statements, right? A lot of you guys probably heard about I statements. Um, I have an example of one there. It says, I felt blank when you blank, right? Um, and I statements are really powerful in these conversations because when we get into you statements, we're like, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. 
that term turns into like a shame blame game, right? Where it's like you're just throwing things at the other person. And I statements are really powerful because, um, okay, you know how like we uh, share testimonies, right? Like people share testimonies at Fan into Flame, maybe at like Men's and Women's Nights, like people come up and testify to their experience with God. And something that's really powerful about testimony is that um, no one can refute your experience, right? That like someone could argue with you on all kinds of like theological doctrines and like does God exist and is he good and all of these things. But if you share your testimony and you say, I've experienced Jesus as healer in my life, like he gave me profound peace. And when I pray, I feel so much joy. Like when you share testimony like that, the other person can't be like, no, you didn't, right? Like, because it's your testimony, it's your experience. Similarly, follow me here. That's why I statements are really powerful because the other person can't be like, no, you didn't, right? Like you're saying, I felt hurt when you blah, 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 right? And the other person can't be like, no, you didn't (laughs) because you're just sharing your experience. Um, So that's really helpful. And then the next thing is articulate the request because remember, this is a solution-oriented process. And so when you're like preparing for these kind of conversations, like when you're in prayer, which I would recommend going to prayer before having one of these conversations with someone, ask like, okay, God, like what a, what's the request I want to articulate to this person? It's like some things I was thinking about, like things that I have said in the past of like, hey, in the future, it would be helpful if you didn't make jokes about this thing because that's actually an area of like some like hurt in me or like past woundedness, right? Like it really hurt when you said that joke. So like in the future, could you not make jokes about that? Um, or like in the future, like it would really help me to know where you're coming from when you made that decision because it like sent me down a, a spiral and a, if I had just been let in on like why you made that decision, that would have been really helpful to me. Or being like, hey, in the future, it'd be really helpful if like we could get some like household hangouts like scheduled in advance so that I didn't feel left out because I had to study when everyone went and hung out, right? Like articulating a request. And then the last step is accept an apology. That if the person says, I'm sorry, say, thank you so much, I forgive you. Actually accept an apology. And I put a little asterisk by that because we are only in control of us, right? That like we were only in control of of our side of things. And so we might not be extended an apology from every person who we feel hurt by. And that is the reality of the situation. You are probably in your life not going to be extended an apology by every single person that you feel hurt by. And just to speak some truth here that like, so reconciling relationships takes two people, right? That it takes two people who are committed to a relationship and want to reconcile it. Forgiveness only takes one person. That you can still forgive someone even if an apology has never been extended to you. You can still walk in forgiveness even if that person has never apologized. So to wrap up here, just some helpful things um, when having these conversations. Your disposition and your motive, right? That like, if you are not rooted in love, it is not time to have this conversation. If your motive is anything other than love of the other person and love of the Lord, it is not time to have this conversation. Similarly, with disposition, you need to be rooted in your identity in the Lord. 
Because sometimes what can happen is that if we are not feeling seen, known, and loved by the Father, if we do not know we are beloved sons and daughters, we start projecting that onto our sisters and brothers, and we start confusing, not feeling seen, known, and loved by them because we are not being, we're not rooted. We're not feeling seen, known, and loved by the Father first. Um, so disposition. Timing. Um, timing's important. Um, one thing, okay, just to speak some truth here, there's never going to be like a perfect time, right? Like if you are waiting for the stars to align and everything to fall into place, like it's not going to happen. There's never going to be a quote-unquote perfect time. However, we, we do need to like think about like what timing would be good, right? That like in front of your whole house in the living room, would that be a good time? Probably not. Um, at 6 a.m. with someone who's not a morning person, is that a good time? Probably not. Um, interrupting someone who's studying for their biggest exam that's tomorrow, is that a good time? Probably not, right? That like we need to be aware um, of, of like where people are at. And it's actually okay um, if you're like not sure like what would be a good time for them, you can actually be like, hey, this is something I really want to talk about. Like when is a good time for us to get to talk about this? Because I really like value our friendship and I want to talk this through. Um, so yeah, timing's important. But in-person and one-on-one is always good. Don't do this over text, please. That would be so sad. Um, okay. Um, and then tone of voice and body language. Those are pretty self-explanatory things, but those are just important things and how we communicate as humans. Those things matter in the way we talk with each other. Um, other helpful things, we already talked about this, say what you mean and mean what you say. Um, sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes I say things I don't mean. And so a lot of times in these kind of conversations, I will go back and say like, hey, I know I said this. I, like, I didn't mean that, and I'm sorry. Like, I would like to revoke that statement, right? Um, yeah, make sure that what you're saying is what you mean. Um, and then a mindset shift of you and me versus the problem instead of you versus me, right? That like we need to operate at a baseline trust level of that every single person in this room wants to be in right relationship with each other. So the mindset needs to be it is you and me against this problem instead of you versus me, okay? Um, fill the gap with trust. Um, this phrase revolutionized my life when it became a reflex in my vocabulary, the phrase, they didn't mean it. Um, because like whenever something, like they didn't mean it, like they didn't have vindictive motives, they didn't set out to hurt me, right? And uh, that's not dismissing the hurt, like it's saying like, I was hurt by that, they didn't intend to hurt me, right? Like their intention was not to hurt me, they didn't mean it. and. That was just a game changer to like have that be the reflex in my mind when I felt hurt is like, I feel hurt, I bet they didn't mean it. Um, assume the best, give the benefit of the doubt. Communication heals wounds, communicate with each other. That's what this is all about, really. And then actually move forward in forgiveness. We've been talking about this, like, think, like if you have endured one of these long and sweaty and hard conversations, like, let the conversation speak for itself and leave things that have been washed in the blood of Jesus there. Like, do not carry them around and keep dragging them around. Like, if you have reconciled with your brother and sister, actually walk forward in forgiveness. And so to close here in that little box, um, sometimes I'm really dramatic, but this is true, though. Um, it says, the advancement of the kingdom of heaven is at stake. Like, we need 
to zoom the heck out. Like we have to zoom out here. There are people walking around this campus dying on a trajectory to spend eternity separated from God and there is no time to waste fighting with each other. Like we have to zoom out here and remember the eternal perspective that when we are consumed by fighting with each other, that means we are not consumed by fighting the enemy. And we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, right? Like we are part of God's church, the church that Jesus founded that has withstood the test of time and everything that the world has thrown at it we are a part of God's plan to get his world back, and we don't have time to waste. We need to be at, on the same team. And actually, on my drive over here, I was praying, obviously, for you guys, and um, the Lord gave me this image of soldiers, right, like um, foot soldiers in battle, um, but they were, like, turned to each other, fighting each other. And then the image flashed and it was like the soldiers turned into like siblings fighting each other right and I was just like Lord why would you do that like you have made your army out of the your family like siblings brothers and sisters you chose brothers and sisters to be soldiers in your army together why would you ever make an army out of brothers and sisters like that, like, oh my gosh, there's so much fighting in a family, right? And then he was like, no, but Carol, look. And then the image switched, and it was the soldiers, like, back to soldiers fighting a common enemy. And he would, the Lord was just speaking, like, because when, when siblings, when brothers and sisters, people living as the family of God, fight the same enemy, are focused on fighting on the same enemy, they will lay down their lives for each other. Like, because they are family, because they are brothers and sisters, they are quick to sacrifice for one another. And so that is, like, the image, like, I want to leave you guys with is that, like, God, God has called you, like, fellow soldiers in this great war. But like it said in the very first paragraph of the Catechism, he's calling you into the unity of a family. And God chose to make his army out of brothers and sisters. And God knew what he was doing. And so, uh, to close, I know I've said to close like three times, but this is the real to close, okay? Um, I want to end with um, this part of John 17. So John 17 Sometimes in the Bible, it's like the little section is called the prayer for unity. And it's Jesus right before his passion is going to start. Like chapter 18 starts with the passion, right? So it's Jesus crying out to the Father right before the passion. This is verses 20 to 23. Jesus is crying out and he says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You guys you and me, so that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
And I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, and they may be brought to perfection as one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. And I don't know if you guys caught it, but Jesus in this, he literally ties together, he correlates our being one to the world knowing that God loves them. Jesus is saying, these things are tied. Their ability to be one and the world knowing that God the Father loves them. And so I just want to pray for us really quick to close. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, we honor your presence here. And God, I ask that this community would be a people who seeks to show the world that you love them. God, I pray that you would make us one. We pray against the spirit of murmuring and grumbling. In all attacks of the enemy, we ask that they would be cast back into hell where they belong. Jesus, we choose you. We just want to look like you. We want to look like your family, your body. I pray that we would be one, that we would not miss the opportunity to let the world know how loved they are by you, Father. God, we give you all the glory. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, help us to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>